Chapter Twenty Two of Seven Keys to Baldpate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Seven Keys to Baldpate by Earl Dare Biggers. Chapter Twenty Two. The Usual Thing. Hello, Mister Holdup Man the girl seized mr mcgee's proffered hand and leaped down from the truck to his side bless the gods of the mountain said mcgee they have given me back my accomplice safe and sound they were black lonesome gods she replied and they kept whispering fearful things in my ear i couldn't understand i'm glad they didn't keep me so am i the crowd surged about them many in it smiled and spoke admiringly to the girl it's great to be acquainted with the heroine of the hour mr mcgee continued i congratulate you you have overthrown an empire of graft it seems alone and unaided she quoted smiling mockingly up into his face absolutely alone and entirely unaided said billy mcgee i'll swear to that in court mrs norton panted up to them hello dearie she cried thank heaven you're safe have you been up to the house how's sadie getting along i just know everything is topsy-turvy not at all replied miss rhodes breakfast passed off like clockwork at seven and even mr golden had no complaints to offer dear i must thank you for all you've done for me it was splendid not now objected mrs norton i got to get up to the house now what with christmas only two days away and a lot of shopping to be done I can't linger in this draughty station for thanks. I want you to bring Mr. McGee right up to the house for lunch. I'll have a meal ready that'll show him what suffering must have been going on inside me while I sat still watching that hermit man burlesquing the cook business. Delighted, said McGee. I'll find you a cab. He led the way to a row of such vehicles, Mrs. Norton and the girl following. Seems like you're always putting me in a cab remarked the older woman as she climbed inside i don't know what mary and me would have done if it hadn't been for you you're a mighty handy person to have around mr mcgee ain't he dearie she winked openly at mcgee and a delightful one agreed the girl in a matter-of-fact tone mrs norton was driven away up the snowy street as mr mcgee and the girl turned they beheld the hermit of baldpate staring with undisguised exultation at the tall buildings of Rutan. why it's mr peters the girl cried yes replied mcgee his prediction has come true we and our excitement proved too much for him he's going back to brooklyn and to her i'm so glad she cried she stretched out her hand to the helmet he took it somewhat embarrassed glad to see you he said you certainly appear to have stirred things up miss but women are good at that i've always said mr mcgee tells me you're going back after all she broke in yes returned peters i knew it i told you so it was all right in the summer when the bands played and the warm wind was hermiting on the mountain too but in the fall it's always been hard and i've heard the white lights calling calling why i've even heard her heard ellen this fall you came and there was something doing on baldpate and i knew that when you went i'd just naturally have to go too so i'm going 
Splendid, commented the girl. It'll be somewhat delicate, continued the hermit, bursting in on Ellen after all these years. As I told Mr. McGee, I wish I had an inaugural address or something like that. I have it responded Evelyn Rhodes. I'll write a story about you for tomorrow morning's paper all about how the Christmas spirit has overcome the hermit of Baldpate and how he's going back to his wife with his heart filled with love for her. It is filled, isn't it? Well, yes, agreed Mr. Peters. I reckon you might call it that. And then you can send her a copy of the paper and follow it up in person. A good idea, commented Billy McGee. At first glance, yes, studied Peters, but on the other hand, it would be the death knell of my postcard business, and I'm calculating to go back to Baldpate next summer and take it up again. No, I'm afraid I can't let it be generally known that I've quit living in a shack on the mountain for love of somebody or other. Once more, smiled McGee, big business muzzles the press. Not that I ain't obliged to you for the offer, added the hermit. Of course, said the girl, I understand. And I wish you the best of luck, along with a Merry Christmas. The same to you, replied the hermit heartily. Miss, uh, Miss Rhodes and I will see you again, predicted Mr. McGee, next summer at Baldpate Inn. The hermit looked at the girl, who turned her face away. I hope it'll turn out that way, I'm sure, he said. I'll let you have a reduction on all postcards, just for old time's sake. Now I must find out about the New York trains. He melted into the crowd, an odd figure still, his garb in a fashion long forgotten, his clumsily hacked hair brushing the collar of his ancient coat. McGee and the girl found the check room, and after he had been relieved of the burden of his baggage, set out up the main street of Rutan. It was a typical upstate town, deep in the throes of the holiday season. The windows of the stores were green with holly. The faces of the passers-by reflected the excitements of Christmas and of the upheaval in civic politics, which were upon them almost together. "'Tell me,' said the girl, "'are you glad at the way it has turned out? Are you glad I was no Lady Captain Kidd?' "'It has all turned out, or is about to turn out, beautifully,' Mr. McGee answered. You may remember that on the veranda of Baldpate Inn I spoke of one summer hotel flirtation that was going to prove more than that. Let me... Her laugh interrupted. You don't even know my name. What's the matter with Evelyn Rhodes? Suggested McGee. Nothing. It's a perfectly good name. But it isn't mine. I just write under it. I prefer Mary, anyhow, smiled Billy McGee. She called you that. It's Mary. Mary what? You have no idea, said he, how immaterial that is. They came among a throng blocking the sidewalk in front of a tall building of stone. The eyes of the throng were on the bulletins. It muttered much as they had muttered who gathered at the station. The office of the star, explained the girl. The crowd is looking for new excitement. Do you know, for two whole hours this morning we had on exhibition in the window a certain package, a package of money i think smiled mcgee i've seen it somewhere i think you have drayton came and took it from us as soon as he heard but it was the very best proof we could have offered the people they like to see for themselves it's a passion with them 
We've done for Cargan forever. Cargan says he will fight. Of course he will, she replied. But this will prove Napoleon's Waterloo. Whether or not he is sent to prison, and perhaps he can escape that, he's very clever. His power in Rutan is broken. He can't possibly win at the next election. It comes very soon. I'm so glad. For years our editor has been fighting corruption in the face of terrible odds and temptations. I'm so glad it's over now, and the star has won. Through you, said McGee softly. With someone to help, she smiled. I must go upstairs now and find out what new task is set for me. Mr. McGee postponed the protests on the tip of his tongue, and, climbing the gloomy stairs that newspapers always affect, they came into the city-room of the Star. Though the paper had been long on the street, the excitement of the greatest coup of years still lingered in the place. McGee saw the deferential smiles that greeted the girl, and watched her as she made her way to the city editor's desk. In a moment she was back at his side. "'I've got my assignment,' she smiled ruefully. They descended to the street. "'It's wonderful,' she went on, "'how curt a city editor can be with anyone who pulls off a good story. The job I've got now reminds me of the experience of an old New York reporter who used to work on the Star.' With difficulty they threaded their way through the crowd and moved along beside the green-decked windows. He was the first man sent out by his paper on Park Row on the Spanish War assignment, she went on, and he behaved rather brilliantly, I believe. Well, he came back after the fight was over, all puffed up and important, and they told him the city editor wanted him. They're going to send me to the Philippines, he told me, he thought, as he went into the presence. When the city editor ordered him to rush down to a two-alarm fire in Houston Street, he nearly collapsed. I know how he felt. I feel that way now. What was it? A one-alarm fire? asked McGee. No, she replied. A sweet little story about the Christmas toys. I've done it to death every Christmas for three years. Oh, well, I can do it again. But it'll have to wait until after Mrs. Norton's lunch. She led him into a street where every house was like its neighbor, even to the room's sign. In the windows and up the steps of one she could have recognized only by counting from the corner they entered the murky and stereotyped atmosphere of a boarding-house hallway with its inevitable hat-rack and the uncollected letters of the homeless on a table mrs norton came breezily forth to meet them well mr mcgee she said i certainly am glad you've come i'm busy on that lunch now dearie show him into the parlor to wait Mr. McGee was shown in. The rooming-house parlour seemed to moan dismally as it received him. He strolled about and gazed at the objects of art, which had at various times accrued to Mrs. Norton's personality. A steel engraving called Too Late, which depicted an angry father arriving at a church door to find his eloping daughter in the arms of a stalwart youth, with the clergy looking on approvingly. Another of Mr. John Drew, assuming a commanding posture as petruchio in the taming of the shrew some ennuied flabby angels riding on the clouds a child of unhealthy pink clasping lovingly to an inflammable dog on the mantel a miniature ship under glass and some lady statuettes whose toilettes slipped down down 
and on an easel the sad portrait of a gentleman undoubtedly the late lamented norton his uninteresting nose appeared to turn up at the constant odour of cookery in which it dwelt his hair was plastered down over his forehead in a gorgeous abandoned curve which has some of the least sophisticated of mr john t mccutcheon's gentlemen effect mr mcgee stared round the room and smiled was the romance of reality never to resemble the romance of his dreams where were the dim lights where was the distant waltz where was the magic of moonlight amid which he was some day to have told a beautiful girl of his love hardly in mrs norton's parlour she came and stood in the doorway hatless coatless smiling she flooded the place with her beauty mr mcgee looked at the flabby angels on the wall expecting them to hide their faces in shame but no they still rode brazenly their unstable clouds come in he cried don't leave me alone here again please and tell me is this the gentleman who took the contract for making mrs norton happy i i can't come in she said blushing she seemed to wish to avoid him yes that is mr norton she came nearer the easel and smiled at the late lamented tonsorial crown i must leave you just a moment billy mcgee's heart beat wildly his breath came fast he seized her by the hand you're never going to leave me again he cried don't you know that i thought you knew you're mine i love you i love you it's all i can say my dearest look at me look at me please it has happened so quickly she murmured things can't be true when they happen so quickly a woman's logic said mr mcgee it has happened my beautiful girl look at me and then she looked trembling flushed half frightened half exultant she lifted her eyes to his my little girl he cried down at her a moment longer she held off and then limply she surrendered and billy mcgee held her close in his arms take care of me she whispered i i love you so her arm went timidly about his shoulders do you want to know my name it's mary mary what the answer was seemingly of no importance for mr mcgee's lips were on hers crushing the word at its birth so they stood amid mrs norton's gloomy objects of art and presently she asked how about the book dear but mr mcgee had forgot what book he asked the novel you went to baldpate to write don't you remember dearest no melodrama no wild chases no love why mr mcgee paused for a moment in the joy of his discovery then he came back to the greater joy in his arms why darling he explained gently this is it End of chapter 22 End of Seven Keys to Baldpate by Earl Dare Biggers